Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Today we're diving into the archives again for a show that's not all that old. This one released less than a year ago on September 25th of 2017. So why re-air it so soon? Well, because it represents the fulfillment of the holiest of media events, the crossover. So last year, the host of the Cinema Jaw podcast, Matt Kubinski, and I made plans to do crossover appearances on each other's shows and then it got all funked up. So Matt did your stories in August, but I missed him because I was out of town for work, and I booked a cinema job recording that either one or both of us just couldn't make happen. I honestly don't even remember why that fell apart, but it did. Uh, but anyway, a whole year later, the promise has finally been fulfilled. So if you head over to cinemajaw.com or look up Cinema Jaw on Apple Podcasts today, I am on there. Matt and his co-host, Rye, talked with me about my history of podcasting, and especially this show, and then uh, we talked about some of the movies we're most looking forward to for the fall, and I put in a pretty questionable showing at Movie Trivia. It was a total blast, and it also has some exclusive information on the future of this show that I have not announced previously that you will probably want to hear. Um, but anyway, this episode of our show, At The Movies Part 2, features Matt's appearance from last year, as well as some other show favorites like Matt Griffo, Brandon Kirkman, and Kelly Opalco. It also has solo music from the one and only Dwight Hassler because, as I said, I was out of town for this one. But it was an awesome show, and it'll get you primed for my Cinema Jaw appearance today, so check that out and enjoy this look into our past. And we'll have an announcement on some new live shows soon for the end of the year here, uh, New York Stories live shows, I should say, including a few really big ones you will not want to miss, probably related to my Cinema Jaw announcement. So stay tuned to your stories for updates. So continuing the theme of um, uh, at the movies, this uh, this song is was in a movie, is very featured very prominently, and um, I'll definitely need some help singing it. I think you'll know the parts. 
So uh, just please, please feel free to sing along. In constant sorrow through his days. Chicago, Chicago-based comedian and musician. Uh, he did what your stories way back at the Chicago Nerd Comedy Festival. Uh, and Katie, uh, my other host, who was to be here, uh, produced it. Uh, you can find his music on uh, iTunes and Spotify. Um, uh, this is Matt Griffo. All right. So when I heard the movies, I immediately just thought about this one story. And it was when I was 14, and I, I was with my buddy Dave, and we really wanted to go see a rated R movie. It doesn't matter what the movie is. I don't even remember it. The <laughs> point was that we were 14, and we wanted to see a rated R movie. <laughs> and so we just went in. I was like, we're just going to ask. So I went in to the theater, 
And I said, excuse me, we would like to see this rated R movie. <laughs> and she said, no. Because <laughs> we clearly weren't, we were clearly looked, looked like we were 10 years old. So uh, I was like, all right. And then we went to the side. We went to the side. We're like, what are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. He's like, we don't have any IDs. He's like, nope. I'm like, all right. So we left. We were like, well, it's done. And I was like, no, Dave, we're going to see this rated R movie. So we walked back in and we were like, excuse me, can we please see this rated R movie? And she said, no. And we're like, damn it. So we we're like, all right, what are we going to do? We thought about it. We were like, I don't know. And we gave up. We were like, fuck it. So we gave up, and then we just went to the dollar store like we normally would. And I was like, Dave, I got an idea. There's mustaches here. <laughs> so we're going around the store looking for some things to get, because now I'm for sure we're going to get into this rated R movie. So we get some mustaches. I get some cheese puffs, because not only can cheese puffs be delicious, but they can also go inside a 14-year-old shirt to look like a old man beer belly. <laughs> so, get that. As we're about to go, this beautiful girl from school is there. And I was like, we're going to tell her about our plan to see the rated R movie. <laughs> so we tell her about it. She's like, awesome. Dave, are you going? And Dave was like, yeah, I'm going. She was like, cool, I'm going to go. And I was like, oh, this is the best day ever. <laughs> so we walk over to the theater again, and we go in, and I've got a mustache on, and these, uh, this man and lady who are underage, but who cares, right? <laughs> so I have a mustache and my beer belly cheese puffs, and I said, excuse me, but I, uh... <laughs> Want to get some tickets for this rated R movie? <laughs> and for my two children. <laughs> and the girl was like, Okay. <laughs> That's fine. So we, we get in, and I was like, Oh, we nailed it! So we're excited about that. We get into the movie. Uh, we're watching the movie. And then Dave, Dave the entire way going in is flirting with this girl. Because Dave, at this point in our lives, is attractive as fuck. <laughs> Dave, side note on Dave, we used to just go around, walking around, and people would say, excuse me, are you a model? And he'd go, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then later in life, in his 20s, they'd say, excuse me, I'm sorry, are, are you a model? And he'd go, <laughs> no. I'm a construction worker. <laughs> and I'd be like, fuck. And they'd be like, wow. Back to 14 years old, though. We're in the movie, and then suddenly, Dave's getting a hand job. That's right. God damn it. <laughs> Isn't that just my luck? That I'm going to go into the rated R movie, the dad, because I got the mustache, to go in. Dave gets the hand job. So the moral of that story is that tenacity and creativity can get you in. But 
your friend may still get a hand job next to you. <laughs> It's true. Your friend could always get that hand job. Um, so our next speaker uh, is a uh, Chicago stand-up comedian and producer uh, of Eagle Trip Club, a long-running and great-themed uh, comedy showcase uh, in Chicago. Um, they just hit their third anniversary. Uh, also, uh, he's a podcaster at shows like Podzuki, which is uh, a kaiju-themed uh, podcast. Uh, put your hand together for Brandon Kirkman! Guys, I'm so excited for tonight because I've watched Big Trouble in China seven times in my life. <laughs> and I knew finally it would pay off. So <laughs> take, that, yeah, take that mom and dad. Uh, I decided not to do my Escape from New York 9-11 joke to keep it classy tonight. Uh, but I want you to know it is there. So <laughs> just catch me somewhere. It's really good. Um, what I really want to talk about was two things. One's a little more lighthearted, the other one's pretty serious, so I want to start off with kind of a more funny note, is uh, I remember the first time I had a very, very sexual experience, guys. It was the 90s. I'm 31, so you got to think back. This is about, uh, I don't know, I'd say about 11 or 12, and we had HBO. At the time, HBO was rerunning a classic John Ritter movie, uh, which is Stay Tuned. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this classic film, but Satan traps John Ritter and his wife in a television, and they must survive every channel, because that was the movies in the 90s. <laughs> and at one point, they get stuck in a channel where they're turned into cartoon mice. It's animated by Chuck Jones. And John Ritter and his movie wife start rekindling the romance. And I've never been that hard, nor will I ever be that hard again <laughs> in my entire life, guys. I just remember that moment so vividly. I expected to look to the right and just see a train conductor sitting on my couch, and he's like, all aboard the Weird Fresh Express. Next stop, all of them. I'm not going to go deeper into that. It's a very long set if I do, but guys, it was like I was playing Wheel of Fortune for every Weird Fresh, and it said, come. And then bankruptcy was just a picture of my dad walking in the computer room. And I was a goddamn chameleoner. I never hit that once. My brother... My brother hit bankruptcy three times, but let's let's just say you always learn from your elders. <laughs> All right, now to bring it down immediately, guys. Uh, about three years ago, a friend I made at work passed away from cancer. Uh, it's kind of a hard story. There's no easy way to get into this. But I work at a hotel, and I was working third shifts at this job, and I, I bonded with this woman who was staying there named Karen. Uh, we were across the street from a cancer treatment facility, so she was coming out for that. And she was out there almost every other week. We bonded so much. Uh, we talk about movies. Um, her son. It's just like, looking back, it's still really hard. But I remember she was getting worse. And she was showing up more to the hotel. And eventually I knew it was coming. Because I came into work. And one of my coworkers had to tell me that last week Karen passed away. And it was one of the hardest days I ever had at work, to say the least. I started crying so much that my shirt collar was getting wet, and I found out that you will go home early that day, because if you cry that hard and keep telling people, I'm fine, they'll send you home. <laughs> but I got into my car, and I didn't know what to do, because I hadn't been through such heartbreak before. I've had some relatives pass away, but nothing where I was just so close to this person so vividly, and they were gone just a week later. 
and I was just sitting in my car, and I didn't know how to start the car or what I was going to do. I just felt so struck with just not knowing what to do. And then all of a sudden, it was raining outside, and I was thinking how cliche it was, and this thought popped into my head. I hate the movie Garden State. (laughs) I don't know where it came from. I just started thinking about it so much. Every detail. Plotting. Why I hate Garden State. Zach Braff and Natalie Portman in that film give a sleepwalk of a performance. So bad I would say it sucks dick, but that's disrespectful to the art of sucking dick. (laughs) And there's just so many things I hate about that film I could pinpoint so exactly. Natalie Portman at one point has a line she says, and I remember this when I was sitting in the theater. She goes, this is your one chance to do something you've never done before. And I remember just wanting to scream, I was about to try acting. That has happened <laughs> once in this film. <laughs> and then on the other side, Zach Braff goes back to his hometown in New Jersey to deal with his mother's uh, funeral. And he gives such an emotionally detached performance, I felt like I was watching myself watch the movie, and that was his <laughs> acting style. <laughs> I was just like... Yeah, okay. I guess we got two more hours of this. And then I just keep going through it, and I just keep plot-pointing it, and then I'm feeling like I can finally just carry on with the day, because me and Karen used to talk about movies all the time. And I started just ragging on even more and talking to my friends about it. It really helped me grieving, because I remember I had this conversation after it about how it helped me grieve. And I'd always say, like, I don't want to rag on Garden State too much, because some people still like that film. It's a great film, if you've never seen a movie before. (laughs) And then I'd always get more and more hard on it. I'm like, anything you could see would be better. Like, let's say the film Godzilla. Okay, maybe more examples. Godzilla Raids Again. Okay, maybe more. Godzilla vs. King Kong. Okay, Godzilla vs. Mothra. Okay, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Okay, Godzilla vs. Astro Monster, which is actually King Ghidorah, but it was a remarketed film where they recut a plot they didn't use in the first one. Okay, or you could go to Godzilla uh, vs. the Sea Monster. Or you could go to Godzilla All Monsters Attack. Or Godzilla Destroy All Monsters. The point is I could name all 30 Godzilla films. I'm not gonna do that, because I did that once at a comedy show, and I've never had an audience hate me more. And then also everyone assumed I was on the spectrum. And I'm not, but I should be. (laughs) But what I really wanted to say is just two things I know. Is that I want to thank Garden State for having something for me to hate and help me through the grieving process. So the two facts I always know is that I will always hate Garden State and I will always love Karen. Yeah, that's... It's a weird thing, right? Like, Natalie Portman, at least I think she is a great actress, but like, she's been in some real stinkers of movies, oh, right? Yeah. Like, oh, uh, like, uh, like coming back to Star Wars, like fucking Attack of the Clones. It's like, hey, the kid, you're breaking my heart. It's like, what? she's a good actress. What the hell are you doing? This script is fucking terrible, and Garden State is, I don't like it either. Uh, <laughs> So next to the stage, Chicago actress and podcaster, part of the uh, comedy horror Clerk and Dagger show at Machine Culture Collective, where Brandon uh, also podcasts, uh, also a former member of the Halcyon Theater, Kelly O'Palco! Hi, hello, thank you for having me. I wasn't even going to mention this, but when Mike brought up All About Eve, um, when I was in high school, someone's... A friend's mom told me, you know you look like that famous actress? And I went, who? 
And she said, Betty Davis. And I was 16. I'm like, I don't know who that is. So I Googled it. I'm like, oh, great. I'm glad you think I look like a 40-year-old woman. <laughs> when I was 16. Um, and then when I got to college and started dyeing my hair red, I would go to fraternity parties and uh, girls would say, you know who you look like? You look like that girl from the boat movie. Um, I later figured out they meant Kate Winslet. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I am not the first person who said this tonight, but I love movies. Uh, Eric messaged me about the theme of this show and said, do you want to participate? The theme is movies. And I said, yes. I love movies. I, period, love in all caps, period, movies, period. <laughs> Um, so if you don't like my story, you can blame Eric. <laughs> um, and I started to think, what am I going to talk about? Because all I really talk about is movies and television and comedy uh, with people that I know. Uh, I was up to dinner a few weeks ago with a good friend of mine from college, and after I went down a very long tangent about the people in the upcoming DuckTales reboot, <laughs> he just took, he took his drink and chuckled and said, it's like if the Internet Movie Database was a person that I could drink with. <laughs> um, so I've been trying to think, what story could I tell tonight that would be different from all the other times that I talk about movies? Because legit, after this, if you want to grab another beer and talk about the most perfect movie ever made, Die Hard, we can talk about it. Uh, yes! It is, it is perfect. Um, I usually hang out with people, and after I ask the customary questions of how was your day, how are rehearsals, how was work, my next question is, did you see what movie is going to be adapted by the Sci-Fi Network? Or did you see the latest special on Netflix from so-and-so? Um, I'm also one of those people who will unashamedly judge you if you haven't seen a classic movie. Uh, and I'm weird, so my classic movies are not things like... Raging Bull or Schindler's List, but if you have never seen things like Jawbreaker or Wet Hot American Summer or Clue, if you've not seen those movies, you can get the fuck out of my house. I will not have you in there. So instead of just talking about all the movies that I love, I figured I should explore where my love of movies came from. So if you're bear with me, this is going to be like a kind of um, like Godfather 2 situation where we're going to go back in time and like explore the origins. I am also Italian, so this metaphor is going to work on a couple different levels. Um, and one of my mom's favorite things to tell me when she hears about relatives that are going to piss off the rest of the family is to look at me and say, you don't go against the family, Fredo. Uh. Which is weird, but it's appropriate because my mom is the reason that I love television and movies so much. Um, I was an extremely bright and eccentric child. Uh, whenever I got Dean's High Honors in college, my mom would remind me that when I was four and about to enter kindergarten, they almost didn't let me in because I could read and I could write, but I could not skip on a straight line. <laughs> that almost held me back a full year. Uh, she knew I was a very curious child, so right when I was getting older and asking questions, Cable TV and VHS players came out so she could shut me up for a few hours by turning those on. And she pretty much gave me free reign on whatever I wanted to watch. Um, when we would go to the monthly visit to the movie store, I burned through their copies of Beauty and the Beast and Nightmare Before Christmas and every young white girl's favorite movie, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would take her copies of Entertainment Weekly and blaze through them and read about all the celebrities and movies and ask her, do you know this person? Do you like what they're in? What should I be watching? Do you like what they're doing? And she let me see whatever I wanted within reason. Um, I still was very young. But shit got real in 2002, you guys. Because that was the year VH1 put out I love the 80s. <laughs> My mom and I loved this show. We watched comedians and stars of bygone decades make fun and mock all of the pop culture of the 1980s. And it was amazing. They would have marathons every, every single weekend on VH1 because they didn't have anything else to play. And we, no joke, missed Saturday Mass because we were involved in a marathon of I love the 80s. Um, I distinctly remember my mother looking at me and saying, Oh, crap! We were supposed to leave for Mass during 1986! <laughs> this show became my cultural spark notes. It encapsulated every big hit and big thing I needed to learn about. So when it came up on the TV guide, I could mark it and watch it and learn and be a part of what people had been watching and talking about. And my mom also enjoyed it because not only was it funny, it was something to watch with me that was funny, and it was a way to immediately share with her daughter all of the things that she loved when she was a young adult. VH1 then also made a sequel to I Love the 80s, and they also made ones for the 70s, 90s, 2000s, the new millennium. Toys? And I think they made one for another obscure object. But when all of those came out, we devoured them immediately. As I got older, my ambitions grew to be bigger than the suburbs that I lived in. I moved out of home to go to college downtown, a whole 20-minute drive from where I grew up. <laughs> One thing that my mom always repeated in between the tears about her baby growing up and moving out was that she would have no one to talk to. I didn't really understand what she meant by that until I started socializing in college and I met other people who were more than happy to have lengthy conversations about David Lynch films or all the guest stars that have been on Reno 911. <laughs> and I found it comforting because I had found other nerds like me. I could talk to other people in this big, scary world. But then it also made me think about the fact that my mom had this passion that was so important to her and unique to her, unique to me and her, to us, and now that I was gone, she would be experiencing most of pop culture alone now, which is the first thing she had done in a long time. So we'll flash forward back to the present day. Um, due to the current political climate and the state of this country, I find it difficult to call home a lot and catch up with relatives. Uh, I am from Ohio, and I have several family members who have made it very clear to me where they stand politically and how they feel about my stance on political issues. And I think about my mom back home. She's not like um, like Michael Corleone sitting alone lakeside on Lake Erie or anything. Like, it's not that weird or sad. Um, but I do make an effort to call her and text her to check in to hear about the DVD she got from the library because she's afraid to use Netflix. Uh, and uh, whenever the Entertainment Weekly comes on Fridays, I always check in because sometimes... Her favorite show is on the cover, and I asked her all the things she liked about the Outlander article because there aren't a lot of people to talk to back home about it that know, but I know what her favorite shows are. Thank you. Hey, Eric. Good job, Eric. Yeah. I 
actually have the same problem with my mom. Uh, my stepdad's a pastor, and my mom uh, is a uh, is a uh, her, her her father was past was a pastor, and then it's been I haven't really talked to my mom much since uh, November. <laughs> for that very reason, it's it's tough because I'm relatively certain she voted for Trump, and I can't bring myself to. Uh, talk to her about it because I know it's just going to be awful. Yeah. Uh, but on the real though, DuckTales is fucking amazing, y'all! Let's fucking watch it! It's free on YouTube! Fuck, that show was good. Okay, sorry. Exactly, most infectious song ever. Um, our last speaker of the night is one of the hosts of uh, one of our other guests, Cinema Job Podcast. The greatest movies podcast ever, currently on <laughs> on episode 336. Uh, he's another major contributor to the Chicago Podcast Co-op, and the man who picked tonight's theme, Matt Kavinsky! Here we go for Dwight. How about all, pretty much everyone in this room, all the talented uh, storytellers before us? So, uh, I'm Matt from Cinema Jaw, and uh, I'm going to tell you, I was going to tell you the story about how I blew up my friend's mailbox three times, but given the goings-on in the news this past week, I decided to tell a story of love instead of strife. So, this is the story of an 11-year-old boy, young love, and going to see one of the greatest American sequels of all time, Big Top Pee-wee. <laughs> so uh, you guys know, movies are magical things. They have the power to transport us to another time and place. They can get us out of our own head, if only for a little while, help us forget our problems. The flash of a lightsaber on the Death Star, the thwap of Indiana Jones punching a Nazi in the face. These are indelible marks in my mind, and I revisit them often. So with Apple recently announcing that it may allow people to rent new movies at home, circumventing the theater system, the film critic in me with two kids says, okay, you know, that sounds like a good idea, but the movie lover who loves going to the theater is mourning the inevitable end of an era. So while what's on the screen is ostensibly the reason we go, the setting of the theater is what's important. And, this, and often overlooked, it's underrated. It's a very important ingredient in the magical spell of film. And maybe it's the darkness, the cool temperature, the smell of other people and popcorn, just the not being at home that makes it so special to me. But whatever it is, it has been the setting for many, many dates. <laughs> so in 1985, Tim, Tim Burton burst onto the scene with one of the strangest and most delightful comedies ever made. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. No one saw this movie coming. It has become an absolute classic that holds up today. Three years later, when the sequel Big Top Pee-wee was announced, I knew it was a no-brainer. I needed another trip into that surreal world of wonderful bikes and clay-faced truckers named Large Marge. And by the way, she still freaks me out to this day. So I was 11 by this point, and I had begun to, dis to discover girls. Going to the movie had going to the movies had taken on all those new connotations for me, and while I was still like really naive, I knew that I had to bring a date. So I grew up in a tiny suburb of New York City called Connecticut, <laughs> and there was 
There was a girl who lived on my street that would have had a poster right next to Indiana Jones and the Ghostbusters if they made posters of people on everyone's street. She, she could ride her bike the fastest. She could win all the foot races. She was always first in line when the ice cream man turned down our dead-end lane. She was the girl next door, and she was perfect in every way to my 11-year-old self. She had to be. She was the only 11-year-old girl in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I knew... I had to ask her to join me for a wonderful evening of Pee Wee Herman. So I walked up self-assuredly to the woman in my life and executed the pinnacle of pre-teen pickup lines. Mom, can I bring the girl next door to the movies? <laughs> so my mom couldn't think of a good reason why not, so she picked up the phone to my horror. She was calling my best friend's mom. What the fuck? I said the girl next door. So once she had secured my best buddy as a chaperone, I guess, she did call the girl next door's parents. I couldn't stand to listen. It's all set, she said. A few hours later, I was in that darkened theater about to watch Pee Wee turn up the heat with the girl next door and Jeremy and my mom. <laughs> so there's no hand job at the end of the story. I remember some of the movie. It isn't nearly as good as A Big Adventure, but in that day, the, what was on the screen was completely immaterial. My palms were like fire hoses as I contemplated going as far with a girl as I could even imagine. It was obscene. It was scandalous. I was going to reach over the cup holder where my Dr. Pepper sat, ice melting between us, and hold her hand. As I was contemplating my big move, waiting for just the right beat in the film, constantly drying my hands on my 1980s jam shorts. <laughs> I felt her stir beside me. Her arm moved as if in slow motion, reached out boldly, and grabbed my hand. She had made the first move. And what a relief. Obviously, in that setting, she and I couldn't discuss what this meant for the future of our relationship. <laughs> I was alone with my own thoughts, my own thoughts, which mostly consisted of a burning self-consciousness about my slimy mitts, and how on earth am I going to eat my jujubes with just one hand? <laughs> so this is a memory. It's a great memory. And many of you probably share it. And I wonder where my children will hold hands for the first time. So enjoy the theater experience as much as you can before we're all just fat, screen-married blobs in flying wheelchairs like in WALL-E. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. And for those of you who question why I did not have the courage to be the one to make the first move that day, you may call me a coward, or a mama's boy, or worse, to which I say, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> My mom, when we were little, she would uh, just hit record on some nights, like when we had Cinemax or whatever, and uh, big... Big Top Pee Wee and Big Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure were like, so on this videotape that we're in the house and like, uh, <laughs> that's one of the first, those movies are like the first ones I had ever seen that, like multiple times over and over and over. And uh, yeah, still love them the day. They're, they're, they're interesting movies, that's for sure. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, let's give another round of applause for everyone who you all are awesome. Uh, yeah, again, thank you for being here. And uh, this this last song, um, it's, it's just an epic, amazing song. And the um, it's a parody. Uh, screw it. It's Weird Al. It's The Saga Begins. And uh, I've heard that uh, heard tell that Don McLean, whenever he's in concert, 
and singing American Pie will sometimes uh, get confused in his head and want to sing the uh, Weird Al lyrics because they just they're so perfect. So um, if you know the song edit or or just the chorus, just please sing along. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack. I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation in to maybe cutting them a little slack. But their response, it didn't kill us. They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that mess. Met Jar Jar and Boss Nass. We took a bongo from the scene and we Fled to Thieve to see the Queen We all wound up on Tatooine That's where we found this boy My, my, this ceramic guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small guy And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Jedi. Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. 
because Queen Amidala wanted to, I frankly would have liked to stay. We all fought in that epic war, and it wasn't long at all before Little Hotshot flew his plane and saved the day. And in the end, some Gungans died. Ships blew up and some pilots fried. A lot of folks were broken. The battle joints were broken. And the Jedi I admire most. Met up with Darth Maul and now he's toast. I'm still here and he's a ghost. I guess I'll train this boy. We were singing. My, my, the Serenican guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry And he left his home And kissed his mommy goodbye Singing soon I'm gonna be a Jedi This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening.